0: Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's Private Equity Practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, National Relationship Director with BDO's Private Equity Practice here in New York City. I'm really thrilled to have two guests with me today. uh, And we're going to be talking about the current private equity and investment banking landscapes. First, Justine Mannering, who is the managing director responsible for sector coverage within apparel, accessories, footwear, and the luxury sectors for Stiefel's consumer investment banking team. Justine is also a founding member of Exponent Women, which is a networking collective which brings together women dealmakers. Welcome to the show, Justine. Thank you. Excellent. Next, we're delighted to have Ann Brophy, who's VP of Business Development for LLL Partners in Philadelphia. Anne has more than 10 years of experience in sales, business development, and relationship management in financial services and private equity, and actually earned her MBA at University of Michigan's Stephen M. Ross School of Business. I'd also like to add that she was a standout ice hockey player at Brown.
2: <laughs> Welcome
1: you. to the program, Anne. Thanks very much. All right. So, Anne, why don't we kick things off with you? I think our listeners would... Uh, be interested in hearing your philosophy for sourcing new investment opportunities for LLR. Um, And I, my understanding is that you really kind of do that by building and maintaining relationships with intermediaries care to share.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks again for having me. Of course. Um, Yeah. I would call our sourcing efforts at LLR uh, very proactive and very comprehensive. I do manage most of our traditional intermediary relationships, which includes a lot of investment bankers, uh, business brokers and increasingly spending more time with accountants like with firms like BDO, uh, with uh, attorneys and lawyers as well as lenders. So we're trying to do a great job of managing those relationships across our fund. We also have uh, a a much larger team focused on sourcing that does uh, more proprietary outreach direct to companies. And we spend a lot of time building out our uh, relationships with executives and potential um, CEOs and CFOs. Um, so we try to be very proactive so that we're talking to companies um, at an earlier stage, even if they're too small. For us, we like to have an engaging relationship with them while they're still growing, in case there's opportunity for us to partner, either on the growth equity side or recap or buyout.
1: Awesome. Well, I see a lot of BD folks out in the market, and you're certainly one of the best. Yeah, thanks. So good <laughs> to have you. Justine, uh, I guess, again, as, you, as the, the MD responsible for sector coverage with, within really apparel, accessories, footwear, and the luxury sectors for Stiefel, maybe you could tell our listeners uh, really about some opportunities and trends that you're finding uh, of interest in the consumer sector and maybe broadly investment banking.
4: Thanks, Todd. And thank you for having me. It, it's interesting to hear Anne talk about deal sourcing because, um, you know, we continue to see just um, a really high level of activity across the middle market. Um, 2019 started down a little soft compared to 2017 and 2018. Um, within our business at Stifo, we've actually seen an increase in deal activity and our 2019 pipeline is looking extremely strong. But I think on the other side of that, this is being driven really by really you know, solid economic fundamentals, but really significant cash resources at both corporates and private equity groups, which has made for an extremely competitive market and still really a seller's market today. Um, and so listening to how people are sourcing for deals and having to be creative to really get ahead of that has been a real trend in the last couple of couple of um, years. I think within consumer, we're seeing a, a bifurcation of the market. There's been a lot of very strong activity and a lot of interest and high valuation multiples. Um, in sectors where there's been more innovation and which are really playing into where the consumer spending. So for us that's been food, beauty, wellness, um, any better for you product where we're really seeing a focus from consumers today. And in direct contrast to that, we're seeing um, some real struggles on the retail and the traditional bricks and mortar side. So I think you know it, it's been very interesting for us just to see how quickly that happened and how the market has changed and been disrupted. Um, and it's been interesting how it's created opportunities for some private equity firms and, and obviously caused issues for others and the same within the corporate, corporate space. Um, and we, we, con- we expect to see that continuing through the year on, on both sides um, and, and working to, to try and take advantage of both sides of those markets.
1: Okay, appreciate. It that makes a lot of sense. Why don't we pivot to the, uh, the outlook for technology? So Anne, maybe you could share some some details on LLR's uh, tech and services focus, and then we'll let uh, Justine uh, weigh in with her thoughts on really kind of the evolution of tech
3: after you. Yeah, absolutely. So LLR has been around for 20 years. We're on our fifth fund when the firm started. Uh, We were very focused on investing and partnering with businesses in the mid-Atlantic region and primarily in and around Philadelphia. And so I won't say we were generalists, but that opened us up to a lot of different industries and business models. And as our firm has kind of progressed and grown, we've really narrowed our focus on areas where we have a lot of experience and expertise and areas where we think we can be a unique or differentiated buyer. So we have Really honed in on technology and tech-enabled services from a business model perspective, uh, and then we cover a variety of industries, including healthcare and education, fintech, B two B software, uh, industrial tech, and security. So we're covering a lot of end markets, but you know we're, as I said, kind of spending time where we uh, where we think we can bring something different to the table, whether that's an executive um, or a lot of deal, deal experience in a particular end market. Um, So we look at a lot of business models that have, you know, very high growth, high gross margin, um, and uh, are growing quickly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Justine.
4: Yeah, it's it's so interesting listening to Ann talk about technology. When when we started, or when I started in consumer, we had a very distinct delineation between the consumer sector and our technology practice. And today, it's very hard to do that. It's almost impossible to distinguish technology from a brand, from a from a channel. You know, we're very focused on um, trying to merge those practices, and so, you know, across our, our the platform, we see technology impacting every single sector. And we try and work together now to really make sure that we can address the markets in the best possible way. And I think we'll continue to see that where, particularly in consumer, it's important. You've got to be where the consumer is, and the consumer is, is online, they're in stores, um, and they're using technology in ways that we would never have dreamed about before. And so increasingly, we're just, we're just seeing this huge focus on trying to invest behind that um, and, and building the infrastructure as well.
1: Okay. Makes uh, makes a lot of sense. Appreciate both your insights. Let's uh, move to our next topic. Uh, clearly, both of your firms are committed to long-term value creation. Um, I guess, Ann, I'll go to you first and then Justine. You know, What are currently the biggest challenges and opportunities, would you say?
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, people and talent are a huge part of this business. Uh, at LLR, we've made a strong effort over the last few years to build out an internal value creation team. Three of those people are dedicated to human capital management. We've built out um, a, some a proprietary database of relationships and executives and people that we can leverage and, um, and learn from when we need help with our portfolio companies, whether it's during diligence of an opportunity or post-close, um, we might you know, go into partnering with the business and sales and uh, marketing is a big area for them so we can leverage that that value creation team to help us find a new head of sales or something a position like that so that's been um a big differentiator for us when we're meeting with portfolio companies that we have that uh that breadth and depth of resources internally so that's been um i guess a challenge that we're trying to trying to address and building a team around so that we can be uh more helpful and a better partner to the companies uh, that we're working with
4: yeah yeah justine what do you think (laughs) So, so we come at it a little differently because we're really looking at how to create uh, long-term value for our clients. Right. Um, I think, you know, for us, we see a huge opportunity in the middle market particularly, and we've um, invested very heavily over the last, you know, five five to ten years to broaden our services. So today, Stiefel is a full-service investment bank offering bulge-bracket services to growth and middle-market companies, um, which is unmatched in the market today. We offer everything from ECM, uh, DCM, M&A, we can help on SPACs, we can help on 144As, we lend off our balance sheet. Um, we really have tried to make sure that we can offer any service to our clients at any stage in their life cycle. And in that way, we've been able to really focus on long-term relationships rather than single transactional um, events and build value for our clients and, and, to be honest, for our firm as well. And I completely agree with Anne that really the challenge for us has been people and talent. We've been lucky to attract some really, really high quality talent in the last couple of years. But as always, that's always the focus to expand and, and broaden our, our talent pool and, and depth of um, expertise. Nice. Well,
1: it's good, good for our listeners to get the perspective from both the, uh, the banking and investor side. So appreciate that. Now we're going to shift gears briefly for our coffee break with Robin Samples, who is a managing director in BDO's Transaction Advisory Services Practice. Robin's based in Atlanta. And Allison Torres, tax principal with BDO's Transaction Advisory Services Practice. And Allison's based in the greater D.C. area. Robin has provided buy-side and sell-side due diligence to PE and strategic clients in transactions ranging from 10 million up to a billion. Allison leads domestic and cross-border tax due diligence, structuring and other transaction-related advisory services for both PE and corporate clients. Let's hear now from Allison and Robin.
0: I'm Allison Torres, and I lead the tax side of our Atlantic Region Transaction Advisory Services practice. Thanks so much for having me. I have to say I really appreciated hearing Ann and Justine's insights and agree that we're definitely seeing technology used in ways we would have never dreamed about before. One such convergence we're seeing play out is in the healthcare industry. Deals like the Amazon PillPack acquisition for $1 billion. Best Buy's acquisition of Great Call for $800 million, and BioTelemetry's acquisition of Geneva Healthcare for $65 million. Robin, I know that here at BDO we have a dedicated multi-service line healthcare center of excellence and deep healthcare industry experience within our transaction advisory practice, but what are you seeing in the South from a Q of E perspective when it comes to the convergence of
2: technology and healthcare? Thanks, Allison. I lead our transaction advisory services practice in Atlanta and focus on financial due diligence across industries. I've seen that PE deal flow in the healthcare sector has increased since 2009, reaching a 10-year high in 2018 with 590 deals completed at a total value of $88 billion. U.S. healthcare M&A has also boomed, reaching a 10-year value peak of $171 billion in 2018. In the last 12 months or so, I'm seeing private equity firms focusing more on healthcare technology companies than on healthcare companies themselves. Additionally, I work with some healthcare companies in the Southeast that have also started to look into acquiring these very profitable technology companies as opposed to outsourcing. One of the most interesting challenges from a quality of earnings perspective for these types of deals centers around revenue recognition under the new accounting standard ASC 606. This standard provides guidance on when revenue and certain related expenses are recognized under contracts with customers, and the majority of these technology companies have extended contracts. For buyers, under this standard, it's important to analyze and understand the revenue recognition and the timing of the associated cash flow as part of their negotiations. Robin, Tech and tech-enabled services raise a number
0: of tax due diligence issues as well. Even before the Wayfair Supreme Court decision last summer, some state and local governments were subjecting tech services to sales taxes, which have historically been thought to apply only to the sale of tangible personal property. Now, after Wayfair, companies can be on the hook for sales taxes on services in states in which they don't even have any business operations when they have a minimum number of sales to the state, for example, $100,000 or 200 transactions. What complicates the issue even more is each state and local jurisdiction has their own rules on which services are taxable and at what rate. So keeping track of what is subject to sales tax and at what rate is a significant administrative undertaking that most middle market companies just don't have the internal resources to keep up on. As a result, we're seeing
2: significant sales tax exposures being discovered during the tax due diligence. We are clearly seeing some tax and accounting complexities arising in this emerging industry. But for now, I think we're out of time. Thanks, everyone. Now, back to Todd Kenny at BDO in New York.
1: Very compelling. Appreciate those perspectives from both Robin and Allison. And now back to our conversation with Justine Mannering and Ann Brophy. Ladies, pivoting to another issue, let's talk about add-ons. According to PitchBook, the median size of an add-on deal in North America and Europe has nearly doubled over the last, the course of really the last two years. I think in 2016, the median size was about 41 million, and that's really snowballed in the last year to about 76 million, which is really about an 85, 86 percent increase. Uh, And this is really based on PitchBook's. Q1 uh, M&A report. So, Justine, I'll throw this out to you. Um, Has your firm noticed an uptick in uh, in PE firms seeking to grow uh, portfolios via add-ons? And then, you know, Anne can chime in afterwards with her perspective.
4: Yeah, Todd, you know, it's been a really interesting evolution from our point of view. Um, historically, we always thought of add-ons as really a way for corporates to add value to their portfolios, and that and was typically buying the private equity-owned assets as add-ons. But as we've seen, just a lot of cash coming into the market, a lot of liquidity, and competition increasing alongside valuations, we've seen a, a number of our private equity clients looking at more creative ways to deploy money, and in many cases, they can't be as competitive on the larger um, platform deals. But what they can often do is create a significant amount of value by, you know, buying a smaller asset and then doing a full buy and build strategy where they can benefit not only from margin arbitrage, but also a lot of operational synergies. Um, And really being able to invest in professionalizing smaller businesses and taking advantage of that. So while we see, you know, valuations are continuing to impact this, we expect that to continue. Interestingly, we've seen corporates pull back a little as valuations in some sectors have come off. And they've really refocused in some cases on on returning capital to shareholders. But certainly the private equity interest in add-ons and building companies through acquisition continues to be very strong.
1: All right. And care, care to uh, add anything on the add-on yeah, topic? Yeah, I mean,
3: I, I would totally agree <laughs> with everything uh, Justine just said. Add-on, add-on acquisition strategy is a big part of our the growth of our portfolio companies. Um, in 2018, we did 10 platform investments and about 30 add-ons. This year so far, we've done three platforms and five add-ons. So mm-hmm. the, the balance of add-on versus platform is always weighing more towards um, add-on acquisitions. Uh, As Justine said, there's a ton of capital and cash chasing a a smaller number of uh, deals, and there's a lot of competition for for investment opportunities. So we have a few different executive-led initiatives that we've done, and and a lot of firms do this as well, but uh, we've tried to pick areas that we see a lot of opportunity. We spend a year or so picking the partner and the CEO or executive that we'd like to work with. And then we spend time building out a pipeline and acquiring those. So we're doing one in the ophthalmology space. We've got one in the uh, uh, payment processing space, and we have one in industrial tech as well. So it's, again, a way for us to bring something, some sort of angle or advantage to a company. It allows us to um, invest in smaller companies by building them up as part of a a platform. Um, And ideally it's a, not a huge process when we're looking, talking to smaller companies, sure. there's less competition, and you can usually invest at a, a lower valuation. So uh, that'll that'll continue to be the strategy of ours going forward.
1: I would imagine so. Excellent. Well, besides PE and deal activity, uh, since I'm lucky enough to have two uh, very successful lady deal makers here, I wanted to cover you know another important topic uh, in the financial in- industry, which is uh, diversity. Uh, a couple stats here. I guess research by Prequin found that the percentage of women working in the PE industry is 18%, and the percentage of women employed by hedge fund managers is only 19%. Meanwhile, another study uh, showed that funds with gender balanced investment teams generate 10 to 20% higher. Than those with a majority of male or female leaders, and that uh, study was by International Finance Corp, Rock Creek, and Oliver Wyman. So, um, I guess Justine, I'll go to you first, and then Ann, please add your comments. You know, how do you think, kind of both the PE and investment banking industry dynamics for women have changed over the years?
4: So, sure, I think. Um you know, working in investment banking as a woman today is certainly significantly easier than it than it was in the past. Um, I think firms have started to really um, take note of the benefits of having a different voice at the table, of having more diversity, not only for their clients, but also for internal purposes, for culture, and really being able to drive the way that decisions are made and firms are run Um, Certainly at Stifa, we have a real focus on not only attracting women to our platform, but I think even more importantly than that is is being able to create an environment where they feel like they can succeed um, and they're part of of the, the culture. I think over the last five or 10 years, we've seen a real drive to hiring women and not always as much focus on being able to create an environment for them. Um, to feel like they they will they want to stay and they can succeed and i think that is changing quickly and i think as more as they reach more senior levels and have a voice at senior management levels and are able to influence culture um, and and programs internally we're seeing them step up and really helping the next generation of women coming through and i'm certainly positive that it's moving in the right direction we still have a long way to go across both investment banking and private equity, but I think increasingly um, it will become easier, and we'll see that that balance change.
1: Yeah, Anne, would love uh, your thoughts.
3: Yeah, no, I think uh, I think private equity and investment banking and finance in general is becoming a a you know better place for women. I think uh, every year it's getting increasingly better. I think. Um, Policies are better internally. There's, there's more maternity leave options. Um, there's more organizations for women, Exponent, as a good example that Justine's a founding member of, member of. There are just more events and organizations available to women so that you can create more relationships, find mentors, um, and just help your overall success. Um, at LLR, we uh, have a director of HR, People and Culture, that was a, a hire for us in the last year, which has been great. I think you're seeing a lot of private equity firms and middle market firms become more professionalized in that sure. way. Uh, we are unique in that I think about 23% of our team, our 60-person team, is, is female. So we're nicely above the percentage for the industry, but still have a long way to go. So that's a big focus for us. Um, I think it's important, as Justine said, to, to be hiring more women, to attract them to want to work there, but also then to retain them and make them... Want to stay and have uh, a path to success. Um, I think you'll also see a lot of PE firms, you know, wanting to have more women to attract uh, talent. But also, you're seeing more LPs and investors um, want to see that the, the firms that they're investing in, funds they're investing in, are hiring women and also investing in women or in you know women-led businesses and and more uh, diversely founded businesses. So yeah. hopefully, that continues.
1: Yeah. Well, we're actually recording this on the, the heels. We just finished our annual uh, women dealmakers uh, breakfast here at BDO in our boardroom in New York this morning. And we had about 50 women with a mix of investors, bankers, lenders, lawyers, and a lot of seasoned C-level execs. So couldn't agree with both of you more. We're doing everything we can from the, uh, the B- BDO side of the world. Uh, how about uh, we'll take on the last topic um, and and I'll let you go first this time. Uh, do you have any professional advice for women uh, that are seeking to follow in your career footsteps?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I was uh, lucky to have uh, a couple you know, women in the industry that have been mentors to me throughout my career. So that's always important if you can uh, find and build relationship with someone who's maybe a bit more senior than you, so that you have. Uh, someone to help guide you and, and lean on when you have questions or, um, or are looking for opportunities and tap into someone as a larger network. Um, and I think, you know, just showing up at events and and being top of mind with people is goes a long way, uh, especially until this industry is more diverse. You are often one of the fewer like fewer women in the room. So, um, you know, that goes a long way, just, just showing up and, and being present. Um so yeah, but I would say the, the biggest influence for me was having a, a strong mentor. Yeah.
1: yeah, excellent. Justine, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I, I agree. Looking back, I've been um extremely lucky to have both men and fem- um both men and women as mentors um throughout my career. I think even more importantly, certainly in my career has been having sponsors within the firms that I've worked at. I've been very lucky to have people who have really pushed me to succeed internally and then helped me to achieve my goals. So I think if I was advising anyone coming to this career today, um, I think what is really important, you do have to you do have to show up, you do have to work hard. Um, but really importantly, you need to network both internally and externally. I think the internal networking is important because you do need a sponsors and you do need mentors internally to be able to um, work your way through what is a fairly complicated culture at most investment banks. And, and it's important to have that support. I think externally, networking with other women, both senior and junior, is really important from a support point of view. It's been invaluable for me in terms of both deal sourcing, but also from a personal point of view, just knowing that. You know, I, just knowing that I have a group of women, you know, we refer to as, as our tribe, who are always there to be supportive, who are always there to offer advice and really understand what we're going through has been, um, you know, really vital to being able to both stay in this industry and succeed in this industry.
1: Awesome. I appreciate the uh, the passion comes through uh, in in the answers to uh the last couple topics. So I really appreciate that. And I think we all met each other through, uh, through networking at yeah, different events. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Well, you know, at, at this point we're going to wrap, but I can't thank you enough. So Justine uh, Mannering with Stiefel and Anne Brophy with LLR partners. You're both uh, very good uh, relationships and very important to BDO. I know you're both very busy. So thanks For taking time out of your busy schedules to join us today.
3: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having
1: us, too. To our listeners, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review of the show on iTunes. Until next time, this is BDO's Private Equity Perspectives. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective
0: firms. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Perspectives Podcast. For more information on how BDO supports private equity sponsors, funds, and their portfolio companies with a full spectrum of accounting, tax, and advisory services, please visit us at BDO.com. If you enjoyed the show, we hope you visit iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join us next time for another edition of Private Equity Perspectives.